Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Chris Yeh Podcast. I am, as always, Chris Yeh. In today's episode, which is going to feature mental samurai content, we go back to the premiere episode and we pick up with two interviews with contestants that had very different experiences. The first interview is with Jordan Halverson, who is one of the contestants who appeared via montage, but has such a fascinating story that I wanted to make sure that you were able to hear about what she had done. Jordan is actually one of America's few female bull riders, and as a result of that, she was very well suited to the stresses and strains of being in Ava and being moved around the set. So even though she only showed up in a montage, I was able to find time as she was on the road going from rodeo to rodeo to record a conversation with Jordan, to ask her about her experience with the show, and to learn a little bit about the world of rodeo. So I hope you'll enjoy this upcoming interview with Jordan Halverson. All right, I am here with Jordan Halverson such a pleasure to have you on the line. I'm excited. Now, we got to know each other when we were shooting Mental Samurai. We were part of the same group, and I was struck by your background, which is really unusual. Why don't you tell people about it? Um, so I'm one of the only female bull riders really in the world. Um, I compete in the men's bull riding and women's bull riding. Wow. Now that is definitely unusual. How did you end up getting into it? So I started riding bulls because my horseback riding trainer was like, hey, let's go mark it off our bucket list. Like how many people can say they've rode a bull? So we went and we just tried it and I was kind of, you know, fell in love. So we started going every week to ride bulls. Wow. And, and how old were you when you started that? Um, so there was no way my parents were going to sign for me. So I actually had to wait till I had just turned 18. It was like my 18th birthday weekend that we went because I had to be able to sign my own form. Well, I can certainly understand that as a parent, uh, I definitely would feel some trepidation about allowing my children, regardless of their gender to ride on an angry bull. But, uh, I hope that they've come around and, and, uh, support your quest now. Yeah, my mom is still kind of on the fence about it, but my dad definitely full heartedly, you know, supports me. That is awesome. So what's it like being a, a bull rider? Uh, tell me, tell us a little bit about it. I mean, it's very rare that I have a bull rider on the line. And so I want to hear the stories. So, you know, I do a lot of training, like bull riding is not like just go hop on a random bull and just hold on for the best. You actually have a lot of training that goes into it. And then, you know, there's a lot of traveling with it. You've got to go up and down the road to each and every rodeo. So, I mean, it's a lot of everyday stuff that people don't realize when it comes to riding bulls. I think they just hop on and, you know, hang on for the best. Well, I can tell you that the week before we shot the show, I was giving a speech at a conference and they had one of those mechanical bulls set up at the after party for the conference. And so I said, I'm going to try riding this mechanical bull and maybe that'll be good practice for the show. And of course, it threw me off in about one second and it really kind of just dispirited me. So I can only imagine what a real bull is like. Yeah, a real bull and a mechanical bull feel completely different 
only because the center point on each one of those that rotate is different. Mm. It, it, I imagine real bulls are, are much, much harder because otherwise people would like sit on these mechanical bulls and train up and become champion bull riders. I don't think that's how it works. Yeah, no, it takes a lot of riding horses bareback and getting on. We have like these drop barrels that are kind of like a mechanical bull, but not exactly. Mm. Now, of course, you know, the way we met is because of the show Mental Samurai and uh, you were on Mental Samurai, uh, I think you were only in the, the brief montage, which I was very saddened about because I loved your story and I wanted to get it out there. But tell us about how is it that you ended up going on this show? I mean, I don't imagine you weren't at a rodeo and someone came up to you and said, hey, you know what would be great? Riding in some sort of space capsule. <laughs> yeah, so I was just cruising on Facebook one day and I had a message from one of the ladies about it. And you know, to ask me if I was interested in how she thought it would be cool to have a bull rider on there because of the fact that we get whooped around so much. But the, the trivia was definitely what got me. Well, you know, again, I think that the interesting thing about the way the game works is you have these very different categories. And it's really hard to be able to be good at all the different categories. I have a friend who's been doing statistical analysis of the show. He watches each run, he records how many seconds it took people to answer and, and all this kind of stuff. Needless to say, he's a computer programmer, used to work for Google. But what he found was there have been 12 uh, mistakes so far, 12 questions that were gotten wrong or where time ran out, and six of those were the memory tower. So there is a definite bias, but all of these different categories can be challenging. Yeah, I think I got out on the sequence tower. I didn't get out on the memory. I got out on the sequence. Well, take me uh, take me through this experience then. So, I mean, again, I, I really think that people out there want to hear what it's like because, of course, uh, in addition to the trivia questions, there is the movement of Ava and the capsule. And I remember because I think we had breakfast uh, the day after the shooting, and you were telling me, "Oh, this was this was like nothing," and which I imagine, right? Because obviously they can load me into a capsule and it's okay, whereas they would never be allowed to load me onto a bull. So riding on the castle, I was grinning ear to ear the whole time I was doing it. Like it was so much fun getting flung around in that little capsule thing. And then what it was, I really feel like was I just got to that question and I didn't know anything about, you know, the topic. And I just like froze and didn't sit there and think about it. I just spat out the first thing that I thought of, which was pretty much the same order it was and got it wrong. I just was overthinking it and didn't actually slow down. Well, I don't know if you've heard any of the previous podcasts, but Joey, who obviously also was was part of our group, uh, talked about sort of the process. And Joey is a game show professional almost. He's been on Jeopardy and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire as well as Mental Samurai. And his point is the entire show is designed to discombobulate us, to get us to rush and to not be that sort of cool, calm, collected point. Uh, and e even for his own question that he went out on, he said, you know, if I'd really been able to pause and stop and think about it, I might have been able to get it. But with that time pressure and with everything else going on, it's just really hard to concentrate. Oh, absolutely. Because I was like, as soon as I answered it wrong, I was like, wow, 
I feel so silly because I knew the answer. I just had freaked out and wanted to try to answer it as fast as I could instead of sit there and think about it for, you know, two or three more seconds. Yeah. And that time is a killer. That is the key thing that I think a lot of people don't appreciate. In the last show that aired, which was episode two, Heather Hurley makes it all the way through the course, is on the circle of samurai and misses the third question, even though she knows the answer. I think it's something where she has to add together the numbers five, four, and two. And she literally says five, four, two, all right, nine, lock it in. And you just know it's because of the time pressure. Yeah. So you're sitting in you're sitting in the chair, you're strapped in, and you're being hurled about. You're 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 having you're greeting from ear to ear. Uh, what was it like being up there? What was it like chatting with Rob? Uh, tell us about that experience. Um, it was really cool. I don't think he likes my uh, school preferences when it comes to North Carolina because his um, son goes to school here, so he wasn't real thrilled about that. But it was fun chatting with him. For the time being. Oh, really? What 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 school does he go? Does his son go to? And which school do you prefer? I believe his son goes to Duke, and I am a NC State fan. Got it. Wolfpack. So. Go Wolfpack. That is funny. Well, you know, uh, obviously, it's Rob really loves his sons. He even had a television show with his sons where I think they went around the country investing, ur- investigating urban legends. So, you know, it's not surprising he feels very close to his kids. Yeah. So now that you've gone on Mental Samurai, this is something where they recruited you. They said, hey, we think it would be great for you to go on. Do you have any itch to do anything like this again? I mentioned, for example, to Clay, our astronaut buddy, that they might ask him to come back on again sometime in the future to try to redeem himself. Would you ever want to do something like this again? Oh, absolutely. I would love like a rematch with Ava. I think that you would be able to win that rematch. And again, uh, I think that people in future seasons are going to have a huge advantage because we all went in cold. None of us had ever seen this before. We had no idea what it was going to be like. They they did a, a trial run back in the the sort of waiting area for us, but it was nowhere even close. No, like the, you had the, you know, practice questions, but once you got up there and then started getting flung around, it was completely different. So let's get back to you for a second. So let's say people are like, you know what? I loved hearing from Jordan. I want to know how can I see her ride her bulls? How can I follow her? What's the best way for people to stay in touch with you and see what you're working on? Uh, so I have two forms of pages. I have female bull rider Jordan Halverson on Facebook. And then I have Instagram, Jordan395, which is Jordan with an E. Yes, let's go ahead and spell that out. Give us the, the full spelling of your name, just to make sure everyone can find you in the right place. Uh, J-O-R-D-E-N-395. Great. And by the way, I'm, I'm curious, what's the story behind Jordan with an E? Because that's less. Uh, that's not the usual spelling. Um, so I believe, I don't actually know Ah. why my parents decided to spell it with an E. Something to ask them about next time you, you, next time you're home. I've heard, I've heard like bits and pieces of like maybe from that movie Cocktail or 
my uh, dad served in the Marines and was overseas in Jordan. And oh, really? Just a mix of it you all. You know, I've never seen the movie Cocktail. I'm going to have to go back. It's like a 1980s classic. That's the Tom Cruise movie, right? Yeah. Oh, I'll have to investigate that. So, uh, I, before we hopped on the call, one of the things you also mentioned is you have these various things that happened to you on the road. So, tell us about this recent experience you had because it sounds like it was it was pretty wild. Yeah, so recently I went to a rodeo. I was in Mesquite, Texas, and you know, we rode bulls that night and I think we left around 1 a.m. to head back to North Carolina, you know, 18-hour drive. And it was about four o'clock. We were in Monroe, Louisiana, and a coyote decided that they were going to run out in front of me. So I smashed it with my car. My car was drivable, but since it was so early in the morning, I went ahead and, you know, called the police to get a police report so I could file it through my insurance and stuff. Well, I mean, it was a big ordeal. I could, you know, couldn't rent a car from anywhere, was stuck in the airport for a little bit, had to wait to get my car out. And apparently nobody in the state of Louisiana at that time thought coyotes existed there. So that was fun to deal with, too. Oh, my goodness. What did they think it was then? They were like, oh, you just smashed your car randomly? They were like, are you sure it was a coyote? Like, we don't hear of coyotes here in Louisiana. I was like, I can promise you I found a coyote. Like, I hit the coyote. He was a big coyote, too. He had to have at least been 80 pounds when I found him the next day. Oh, so you found the body. You were able to point to it and say, hey, here's where it was. Yeah, so I had to drive back by where I had hit him, and I saw him on the side of the road. And I was like, I'm pulling over and taking a picture of that sucker so I can send it to my insurance because I have no idea what this police lady has said that I've actually hit because she doesn't believe there's coyotes here. You know, after uh, after this show, you know you're going to have to post that photograph of the coyote for the rest of us competitors because we're just going to have to see that unless it's just too gruesome. Yeah. No, he was fine. He was actually flipped over onto the side I didn't hit. So he just looks like a coyote lake in the grass. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, I got to tell you, thank you so much again for taking time out of the busy schedule. Between the 18-hour car rides, mowing down coyotes, riding bulls, you got a busy life. And so I appreciate your being willing to come on. Well, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Wow, what a great interview with Jordan. I think you'll all agree that we'll be rooting for Jordan to realize her rodeo dreams. I learned a lot of things I didn't know before. I did get a chance to talk with Jordan a bit when we were together on the set at Mental Samurai and was just super impressed with the dedication it takes to pursue that kind of goal. And I hope that she is able to come back for a redemption ride in Season 2 of Mental Samurai. Now, another person who I think should get a chance at Redemption at Mental Samurai is our next interview subject, Becky Eldridge. Becky, as you saw in the season premiere, had an incredible run, which ended with the last question, which only happened because she ran out of time. So I have a nice long conversation with Becky. We're able to hear more about her life leading up to the show, how she ended up on the show. And her experience going through her run, I think you'll agree that Becky has this incredible positive energy. There's a reason why Sam Durbin said, I was blessed by Becky. I knew I was going to win. Becky is amazing. And I've got to agree with Sam. 
Becky is amazing. So without further ado, here's my interview with Becky Eldridge. All right, Becky, are you there? Hi, Chris. I'm here. It is so great to have you on. I can tell you that we've been trying to make this work. We've both got busy schedules, but I am so glad we found the time to do this because while, of course, Sam is a wonderful, amazing person, the handsomer Jonah Hill, love him to death, <laughs> you had one of the most dramatic runs that I've ever seen. I was really on the edge of my seat as as, as it was going on, and I want, and you immediately afterwards, I, I've got to talk to Becky. Oh, Chris, thank you. It was so fun to do. It was a bit dramatic, but it was lovely to do the whole process. I I love flexing my mental muscle. That sounds so braggy, but it's one of my favorite things to do. You know what? One of the things that I saw people criticize is in episode two, Heather said, I am a genius. And yeah. some people don't like that. You know, guess what? The people who went on the show most of them were probably certified geniuses, and there's nothing to be ashamed of there. Yeah. Well, good. Thank you. <laughs> it's definitely like a point of pride for me. So yeah, it was it was dramatic, and I, you know, Chris, I wish I had ten thousand dollars in my pocket, but most of all, I was just happy to be on the show and mix things up for me. Well, I got to tell you that uh, again, ten thousand dollars, phenomenal. I think it would be great to have that. Uh, having millions of people watch your story, there's a certain value to that as well. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, everybody's got their story. Mine just hit the hit the show at a time when it was really, really like the biggest headline of my life. There was nothing, nothing sadder for me than what I went through last year. Yeah, well, let's talk about a little that just a little bit. Sure. Uh, so obviously, you know, you you went through a, a great tragedy with the death of your mother. Uh, how have things been since then? Have you been able to recover? Have you been able to find some of that closure and to get over that grieving process? I definitely am. I think I'm still in grieving. I guess in grief, but um. Things have gotten a lot better. Back when we filmed, which was back in October, and now it's you know almost April, um, my mom's death was very, very fresh. She had just died two and a half months prior. And like I said on the show, what had happened is she had fought Hodgkin's and had recovered, but then the chemo had done so much damage to her heart and lungs that that's what killed her. So it was this thing where you know my mom, when she went into the hospital. She was literally playing volleyball and ran out of breath. This was after a year of chemo. So she had been cured of the cancer. And then this other darn thing was the, was the ultimate end, you know, chemo just beats up your body. So, so even though not to get into details, but when I tell the story, people were like, well, she had cancer. You knew she was maybe going to die. We really thought she was okay. So it was like, she got hit by a truck, you know? Yeah, and I got to tell those people who say things like that. You know, I don't think anyone says, "Oh, well, you know, I knew that death was likely and therefore it was easy for me to accept it." I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I it's definitely so to answer your question, I'm much further along. I'm able to work and socialize a lot more than when I was weeping on the set of Mental Samurai. But it still hurts. I mean, I've lost my grandparents, but my mom and I were very, very close. And, you know, I have four siblings and we were a tight family. We still are. And 
So it's very devastating. Thankfully, I did find a great resource, which I'm going to, you know, <laughs> pimp out a little bit. Please if do. Any, if anybody ever loses someone very close to them, I just recommend that they find a grief group. It's been the healing balm that I needed, and it's created a community, and it's all people my age. We've all lost a parent, and it just really helps to have that. It's been sort of my saving grace, in addition to the wonderful support of my friends and family. And I think that's so important, right, to find people who have experienced some of the same things that you have, much like we're talking on about this experience that we've shared. It's really difficult if you don't have someone that has gone through something similar so that you can compare notes. Yes. I think it's like having a new baby for the first time or, you know, any of these major life things. And, you know, Mental Samurai, it doesn't rank up there with these major life events, but it was unique. I mean, the show just started, Chris. So what we went through, we were sort of the guinea pigs, you know? So it's been so great to hear your stories um, or all the stories of the contestants on the podcast. Well, let's talk about your story. So, how did you end up on this show? Because again, you're you're grieving, all these things are happening, but you end up on this television show. Yeah. So what happened was I've I host trivia with this great company called Geeks Who Drink. And I was literally subbing in on a Wednesday night at a super fun bar and you know, at Water Village in LA. And someone came in and they said, Hey, we're gonna um recruit from here. We have approval. And so it's a new game show. And then that casting person said, are you interested? And I was like, uh, sure. And she's like, it's hosted by Rob Lowe. And I was like, yes. Cause I'm a huge fan of Rob Lowe. I've read his memoirs, have followed his career. And I knew that, you know, he was a smart guy. And I thought, well, if he's behind this, it's going to be really interesting. The thing was that and I think you talk about this on your podcast. We didn't really know what we were signing up for. That's right. It was a mystery to all of us. And if you were a contestant, you basically found out the day that you were going to shoot some of the details of how the game worked, and you'd never seen anyone do it before. So it was right. going in cold. Yes, exactly. And um, and we were warned, you know, like there's going to be a physical aspect and they kept describing it. And it was hard to imagine because it's such a such a creative and fun concept. But you're like, what? And so until you walked onto that set and I think were strapped in and flung around, you really had no idea what you were going into. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, how can I possibly prepare for this? And the best I could come up with was spinning around in my desk chair and then trying to answer trivia questions. Did you do that? I actually did that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Do you have an office at home or were you doing it at work? I was primarily doing it at work. So yes, it did attract some attention. <laughs> But I'm known as an eccentric, so that well, was okay. Yeah, yeah. It's good to be an eccentric in my opinion. Yeah, I did a lot of prep where, um, you know, just you know, behind the scenes for the audience. We, at least I did, had a couple of Skype calls before I was officially cast. And so I knew the type of questions and I knew where I had trouble. So I bought a puzzle book and I have always had LSATs that I practice on, and I really focused on some of the areas where I wasn't as strong. I did not do anything physical to prepare. I'm so impressed that you did that with the chair. 
Well, what was good about that is that it was quick because I wasn't as dedicated as you. If I had really thought about it, I probably would have gone and said, let me go get one of these books on memory or something like that. Because as it turns out, uh, one of my friends has been doing these advanced stats and I think his stats showed that you know, there are 12 runs that were ended. Every single run has been ended by uh, not by missing a question. And of the 12, six were ended on memory. No. Yes. Oh, wow. Wildly disproportionate. Wow. I wonder, because it is such a brand new show, if the creators knew that or if they just had to flush it out as they, you know, taped. Well, I think, by the way, that they had a couple of America's memory champions go on as well. And so we'll see how they do. It'll be interesting. Yeah, the memory ones were definitely a challenge. But for me, um, and we'll get into it, when I did it, I just went by instinct. I was like, okay, I can kind of remember. I just trusted that my brain had taken a mental image and that that's what was the answer. Well, Take me through your run, which again, as I mentioned, was this incredible, dramatic, heart-pounding run. What did it feel like? That was for us in the audience. What did it feel like for you being up in the capsule, being raised up, talking with Rob, and then going through the run? Um, It was a thrill to talk to Rob. As I mentioned, I'm a pretty big fan. Um, And, you know, as you know, you have a longer conversation with them than actually ends up on air. But one of the things for the run in general, it felt a little bit like Slumdog Millionaire. Have you seen that movie? I haven't. I probably should watch it. It, It's a great movie. And it's about a boy who comes from the slums of, I'm not sure what city in India, but he ends up on essentially who wants to be a millionaire. And every question relates so closely to his life that they flash back to the moment and then flash forward to him answering the question based on this part of his life he had seen. So in talking to Rob Lowe, he's from Ohio, I'm from Ohio, Um, we talked about my mom, and so when I started, uh, before the capsule moved, I thought, I need to pull it together emotionally, because at the time, I was pretty vulnerable in terms of talking about my mom, and then during the run, it felt like more than half the questions provoked a certain memory or image for me, related directly to my family life. And so that was really neat. I don't know where that comes from. I mean, we're all thinking people, but it felt like almost like, oh, hey, my mom's watching out for me. She's she's stacking the deck here. <laughs> now, there are a couple of questions. Obviously, you'll go down in history as the handmaid's tale woman. <laughs> but are there any other questions that stood out for you or, or what were things along the way that caught your attention or you felt something that the people at home wouldn't know unless they got a chance to talk with you? Well, in terms of The Handmaid's Tale, the things my friends keep teasing me about is that the question actually said, what television show? And then I responded, it was one of my favorite books (laughs) because I'm a nerd, you know, like I'm like, oh, the book is wonderful. Um, So, I mean, I like the TV show too, but the, the, one of the questions that I had forgotten about, Chris, was the license plate question. And every time I have seen that, I can't answer other people's. I don't see it. But somehow that day, I answered it. And even when I rewatch, I go, how did I figure that out? Because I don't think I would have gotten that one. So upon rewatch, seeing that particular puzzle, which was the license plate backwards, and you had to identify what it would look like mirror image, 
and you know, I have a nephew named Ben and that was the name in there. So that felt a little like super personal, but that one, I was like, Ooh, I would not get that again. Maybe I would, I don't know, but that one stuck out to me. And then, um, another one that really stuck out to me was one of the memory ones. They played a clip of someone bungee jumping and then you had to, or I had to identify what the hand signal was. And that one, I just went on instinct. And then when I look at the other contestants that have aired to date, I felt like their memory challenges were much more difficult. So I feel like I got really lucky with that one. I've also noticed that some of the contestants with the memory challenge, they're verbally repeating things as they go through and are looking at the different elements. I'm like, damn, I wish I'd thought of that. I know, me too. And that's something the producers encouraged us to do. And, you know, I think that's where I really shot myself in the foot because I was like, well, they said to keep talking. And so I could have moved with a little more speed to get to the final question. But well, um, let, let's yeah. talk about that because it's a fascinating thing. So uh, that same friend with the statistics basically said after analyzing the movements of Ava that you need to average 16 seconds a question in order to be able to finish in time. Oh, wow. I like this friend. (laughs) That's really a a pretty hefty clip. I mean, you don't think that you're going to need, that it's going to be that much off the clock from the movement, but it turns out it actually was. Right. And, And so as a result, you know, the question is, which approach do you take? I think you may have heard my previous podcast where I described these as the all business approach versus mm-hmm. the dramatic approach. Right. And it sounds like you were taking the dramatic approach. Talk about that. Um, I definitely was. And I love your characterization of it. Um, I am such a rule follower, Chris. So in the prep period, the producers said, talk things out, as we mentioned. And they also said, take your time, but move quickly. So I think one of the benefits of being on a brand new show is that you get to figure out, oh, how to find the tricks or how this works versus if it was airing for five years. But one of the disadvantages is that I didn't take the speed element as seriously as I should. I I remember at one point I was swinging around and Rob Lowe said, Becky, you only have blah, 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 much time. And that didn't mean anything to me because I didn't know the 16 second rule. You know, I just had no idea. I I thought I was doing really well and didn't give the time much thought, you know? And then now looking and watching the show, I'm like, oh, I could have sped it up a little bit. Yeah, it's one of those things where it feels like, you know, if you were like Sherlock Holmes, because you're in the bullpen in the in the warm-up on deck circle for a couple of runs before you go on generally, that you could have had a stopwatch. Well, actually we had no watches or Claw, or, or, or phones, yeah. but maybe you could have like said to yourself, okay, it looks like it's taking this many seconds in movement between locations. Now I have to account for that. But I didn't yeah. think about that. I mean, my goodness. I did not either. And I, I filmed relatively early. And, and I think that some of the people who made it on filmed after me, like the next day or so. So I, I had a lot of fun with my contestants, but there, even when I was in the bullpen, there weren't a ton who moved on to a lot of questions. So it was a lot of Rob interviewing, a lot of like two or three answers. Oh no, they didn't get it. And then Rob interviewing afterwards. So I think even if I was a good Sherlock Holmes, I didn't have the information in front of me. Right. There Maybe was- I'm making excuses. <laughs> no, no, it's absolutely true. You would need to have a fairly long run in order to really assess that. And right. in my case, 
you know, again, this is insider information, but Joey sure. went on right before I did. And Joey, I think, got through eight or nine questions. So there was yeah, enough time great. to really see. And and I told Joey, I said, as I was watching his run, I was getting more and more intimidated because he was flying through it. He was yeah. just racing through it. I said, oh, wow, I don't know yeah. how I'm going to be able to do that. Yeah. And for me, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to kill this. And then I didn't. <laughs> well, you did. You got all the way through. And the question that you missed was a classic running out of time kind of error, which is, I think it was, you were supposed to go most to least and you went least to most, but you knew the answer. Yeah, it was the opposite. I was supposed to go least to most and I went most to least. And so it was one of those moments, again, I'll bring up the movie you haven't seen, but in Slumdog Millionaire, you know, Chris, I've written, co-written two musicals. I love the form. And so that was a really easy question for me. I, I could figure it out immediately. But unfortunately, I didn't read that they wanted it least to most. So I did sequence it, but I went most to least. And so, you know, that was, I was a victim of time. You know, if I would have had a little more time, maybe I would have gotten it straight, but maybe not. I mean, it, by that point in your run, your adrenaline is thumping and, you know, I, I can keep pretty cool, but I was like, holy Holy, I think I'm going to pay rent for six months, you know, like I was pumped. So maybe even if I would have had more time, I wouldn't have gotten it correct. So well, who knows? <laughs> I believe that if you had more time, you would have gotten it correct. But uh, at the same time, you know, it's just so difficult. There were well over a hundred contestants who ran through, as you put it, you saw a lot of people go in and go out after two or three questions. I saw my friend Clay, the astronaut, go out after one question. Oh, Clay. I have yes. to buy his children's book. I'm so glad you spoke with him. What, what a wonderful story. And I mean, I, I just want to read more about him and anybody who has served in that way, but man, that guy, what did you call him? The sacrificial lamb? The sacrificial lion, because mm. you know he's built up, rightly so. He's an astronaut. Mm. He has all these advanced degrees. He teaches engineering at college, and he's written all these books. And it was just went to prove anyone yeah. can lose. And the physical element. I mean, you know, we've all seen astronaut movies. What they put him through before they put him in space. So surely the capsule couldn't throw him. But yeah, it, that was a heartbreak. Well, I can tell you there are a number of contestants for whom the capsule was either not even intimidating or one of the desirable things. The other interview in this episode is with Jordan Halverson, who is one of America's few female bull riders. Oh. And for her, it was easy. There are other people who are aerialists or gymnasts, and for them, it was like nothing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not quite so for me. Yeah. I cannot wait to see your episode. For me, I mean, it was fine. It really was not a thing. And I don't mean to sound arrogant about that, but I was like, oh, this is fun. And I don't know if you can see it, but I was kicking my legs and kind of giggling in between. I thought it was a ball, you know? Well, that all worked in your favor. You'd had a great run, missed it at the end. But boy, I think that people came away from that thinking, wow, I really like that, Becky. Oh, thanks, Chris. I have to say, people really come out of the woodwork in a fun way. It's kind of like having a birthday on Facebook. And I heard from so many people, and um, they were really positive, and it was great. And, you know, I met a lot of great people 
you know, waiting and waiting and waiting as we all did. And uh, my absolute favorite ended up, you know, getting through on my episode, which was great, Mr. Sam Durbin. And Sam, by the way, has received at least three marriage proposals and a number <laughs> of other indecent proposals as a result of going on the show. Oh, my gosh. Well, one of the fun things was um, Sam and I met just for like a quick second in passing, but I had a, a viewing party and everyone was like, oh, my gosh, Sam's wonderful. And I was like, we're kindred spirits. And we just hit it off right away. And he's in Chicago where I just moved from and we have a lot of mutual friends. So it was kind of fun, fun to discover a friend I probably would have never met through this process, you know? Absolutely. And the people, again, without exception, were just these incredible, accomplished, smart, brilliant, funny people, which brings us to you because on the show, they characterize you as a writer, but you have done a lot of things. You've been a performer and you're in... LA for a reason. So let's talk about the things that you've been working on and where people can learn more about you. Oh, sure. I mean, I, uh, as I said, I just moved to LA just about a year ago. Um, and I'd lived in Chicago for many years after I graduated from college. And I kind of had this dual life, like one path was advertising, sort of the more secure job, though advertising isn't that secure. And then at night I would do improv comedy. I would take classes with great people like Mick Napier and at the Annoyance Theater in Chicago and Improv Olympic and Second City and eventually even got to perform quite a bit. And um, and improv, I don't know if you've ever seen it or engaged with it, Chris. As a matter of fact, I did improv at Stanford for three or four years and okay. have even performed at some college comedy festivals, but it's been yeah. a long time. So it doesn't surprise me that you're a contestant because – I think that what improv does is it forces your brains, and I think they've even proven the science, to create new neuron pathways. And so you are able to connect on like things, you know, and that's the idea of improv. You say yes to everything, and then you're surprised by what comes up, and then you make it work. And I think that is a skill that's very useful for a game like Mental Samurai. Absolutely. And so you moved to LA. You'd already yep. been performing in Chicago, but you moved to LA. What was the plan there? Well, I was a real, real, uh, I, I was reluctant to move because my family, as we talk about in the clip, they're all in Ohio. I have a giant family. I have 16 nieces and nephews, a million cousins. And so Chicago was always close enough, like six hours away from Cleveland, Elyria. Um, but LA is really where I think that if you're wanting to not be more serious about your career, but maybe find a way to get paid more for it, because there's a lot of people who are very serious about their acting career in Chicago. But for what I want to do in theory, which is to write on a sitcom, I really needed to move to Chicago. So I kind of had my I was a late bloomer. You know, I'm 46 and I'm in my first year in LA and I'm trying to pursue my comedy writing career. Well, that is fantastic. And again, I think that you're absolutely right. It's not that you have to move to LA if you're serious, but if you move to LA, there are just many more opportunities yes. than there would be in almost any other place. Yeah, it's just where the architects of the world, not of the world, but of the TV and film world are. It's where the decision makers are to say yes or no. 
things film all over, but the writer's rooms are here in LA and to a small degree in New York. But if you, if that's a path you want to follow, you'll be hard pressed to find that in a city outside of LA. So I'm trying, I had to take a little break from it, Chris, because I had the saddest thing in the world that I ever could have expected happen. So I just took a whole year off and now I'm kind of in pursuit of it again. Well, I think that everyone out there will be rooting for you in your new career in comedy just as they were when you were on Mental Samurai. Now, I know a lot of creators have social media presences and things like that. Let's say people want to see what you're up to, want to support you. Where should they go? (laughs) Well, um, uh, I don't really have much, Chris. That's part of the thing. Um, So I'm on Facebook. (laughs) which is like saying I'm a third grader and then I'm kind of on Instagram and I, I need to pull that together. So I would say in terms of being a performer in LA, not so much, but I'm working on it. So I don't have much to plug. Um, but, uh, you found a fun little thing (laughs) that was from back in Chicago. Yes, I, in fact, found a video clip of you. I believe it's singing an improvised song a la Wayne Brady. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And again, if you look up Becky Eldridge on YouTube and you look hard, you'll find that song. (laughs) You're like the detective. Well, I enjoy it. It is a, a labor of love. And part of it is just watching the show. I see the 10, 15 seconds worth of a biographical package and talk with Rob. And I think, wow, there's so much more there. And I want those stories out there. Oh, and I'm so appreciative of it. And and I just, like I said a little bit earlier, the outpouring of support that people gave me after watching the show was just one of those things. It was a little boost I needed in my life. And I think that, you know, I definitely wanted rent money, but I think I also needed a boost that was like, oh, hey, you do like to be, you know, talking to people and be on camera and like to answer trivia questions. So it was right what, It was exactly what I needed right when I needed it. Well, I hope you find some great collaborators. I hope that you are able to begin getting some of your content out there. And I hope that by the time Mental Samurai Season 2 rolls around, fingers crossed, crossed. (laughs) we'll be able to hear about what some of the show alumni are doing. And perhaps there will be some information about your online web series or about the show that you're working for. And I will look forward to that day. Thank you. And I propose to my pal, Sam, that we do a two person show once the, <laughs> the run of mental samurai is gone. But well, I think that he's definitely going to have more, more clout than me. But, um, I definitely like, you know, if anybody's hiring for a writing room, I'm free and available. But other than that, you know, I'm just kind of trying to find my way in LA. Well, let us make sure that we organize a Mental Samurai World Tour with Sam Durbin, our star. (laughs) Make sure that you're on that as well, because I think that that would be both comedy gold and great content for everyone. Oh, thanks. Well, when we see your episode, maybe we can invite you in, but we can't talk about it yet. Well, you know, we'll just keep our fingers crossed. Uh, I always tell everyone. You know, you're just going to have to tune in and see what happens. Yeah. What is the date of your episode? April 30th. And I hope you'll be rooting for me, Becky. Yeah. Are you hosting a party? 
I will be. I'll be hosting a big party up in the Bay Area, which is where I'm from. Yep. I don't know if you want to bother flying up or driving <laughs> up, but you're certainly welcome you to might, come. You might see me knocking at your door, but don't want to be creepy. You're this certainly is, welcome to come. There will be room for everyone. This has been great, Chris. And I agree with you. All the contestants were wonderful. And even though like it's a brand new show, so I felt like, oh, they didn't quite know what to do with us at times. And Area, uh, the taping was delayed, but it was it was a great process. So I want to say thanks to the Meta Samurai peeps. They were great. Absolutely. And I will tell you, that was part of my strategy. I wanted to go on a new show because really? I knew that any show that had already been out there for a while, people had ways of doing it. The strategies okay. would okay. be in place. There would be a bunch of professionals. I needed an improv-like situation yes. where everyone was on a level playing field. Yeah. Yeah. Do you watch Survivor? I do not, but I am familiar with the show. Yeah. I know that over the years, the the strategies, I mean, exactly. they're probably case studies that are written by yes. like business schools on how yeah. to use this. All that stuff. And, you know, the one who really changed the game was Boston Rob, I think. So anyway, I don't want to geek out on a show you don't know about. But, um, yeah, for sure. And I, I can't wait to see your improv muscles flexed in your episode. Well, we'll have to get together sometime and maybe we can do improv together and I can come to a performance down in L.A. because I grew up there and I still get down there a couple times a year. So I'll reach out to you the next time I'm down. Okay. We'll get our digits exchanged. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much, Becky. Thanks, Chris. Have a good one. You too. Wow. What a great interview. I can't wait to get a chance to go down to LA and meet Becky in person. Maybe we'll even be able to do improv together, like we said. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode of my Mental Samurai bonus extras featuring the inside insights that you can only get from the competitors who are on the show. Coming up in week three, we've got another set of competitors. I've still got to catch up with a few folks like Donovan Hand and Bennett Reber. So I am looking forward to continue to bring you this great Mental Samurai content. If you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Help spread the word and make sure these great stories are told. I'm Chris Yeh, and thank you for listening. <laughs>